the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. What Jesus did in this moment was he filleted her heart wide open and he exposed the deepest longing of her soul. And in her particular situation, she thought that she could bring satisfaction to her life by going from one relationship to another. If I just find this man and then this man and then this man and this man, she went through five men. She's living with the sixth guy and she's still not satisfied. In fact, I would dare say that the more she kept drinking from that well, the emptier she got. What well are you drinking from? This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Nehemiah. Many of us are familiar with the verses, and God saw that it was good, that follow each stage of creation in the book of Genesis. However, when God saw that Adam was alone, we read, and God saw that it was not good. This, of course, illustrates the importance and design of companionship between man and woman. However, in today's message, Pastor Gary reminds us that this companionship pales in comparison to a relationship with God. In our study, we learn that while relationships are indeed God-designed, none of them will fulfill the longing of our souls for God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Nehemiah 3 for part two of today's message titled, Examining Our Gates, the Holy Spirit. It tells us here at the beginning, verse 37, that it was on the last and greatest day of the feast. What feast? If you look back earlier in John chapter 7, we find out it is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was something that the Jews would celebrate. Every male over the age of 21 was required to go to Jerusalem to celebrate one of three major feasts, and one was Tabernacles, also called in Hebrew Sukkot. And part of the celebration of tabernacles was that they honored the Lord for the bounty of the harvest, and they prayed for rain. They prayed for rain. Water was and is a precious commodity, but particularly so in these days. We take for granted now. We go to our kitchen sink. We turn on the faucet. We have fresh water brought right into our house. Not in these days. They were very dependent upon the Lord for rain so that the spring could continue to provide fresh water for the people of Jerusalem. And part of Tabernacles was this great parade of celebrating God who provided rain for the harvest, who brought water for us to survive by. And so here's what would happen. The Feast of Tabernacles was an eight-day celebration. 
The eighth day, the last day, was called the last and greatest day. Now, that's when Jesus speaks here. It was on the last and greatest day, and something special happened on the last and greatest day. For the first seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles, the priest would leave the temple area with a golden pitcher, and he would walk down to the Pool of Siloam, and he would dip the golden pitcher into the Pool of Siloam. And everybody, this, this, this was you know, accompanied by great fanfare. Everybody in the city was celebrating. This happened every morning for seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles, where the priest would come down with a golden pitcher, scoop up some water, and he would take it back up to the temple where he would pour it out in what was called an offering of libation. It would basically be a water offering, thanking the Lord that he brings rain for the harvest. He brings water for our survival. And everybody would celebrate the goodness of the Lord in this way. This happened every morning for seven days. On the eighth day, which was the last and greatest day of this feast, the priest would do something different. When he would take the water to the temple area and pour it out, he would read from two passages of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 12 and Isaiah chapter 44. And this is what he would read. Now, just listen to this, and I want you to hear this in the context of what Jesus is about to say in John 7, 37, okay? The priest on the last and greatest day reads this from Isaiah 12, 3 to 6. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the people what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. That's what Isaiah 12, 6 says. And here Jesus is the Holy One of Israel standing among them, and they didn't recognize him. The priest is reading that passage. Now the priest would then add Isaiah 44, 3. Listen to what it says. For I will pour water on the thirsty on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Now, this is fascinating, folks, because you got to hear the whole context. So here the priest is, pitcher of water, pouring it out every day for seven days. Eighth day, he gets up, does the same thing, and then reads Isaiah 12, and he reads Isaiah 44, and he talks about water being poured out from the Lord and the, and the bounty of the harvest and the Spirit of God being poured out and all of this symbolism of water in the land. And Jesus then stands up on the last and greatest day of the feast, and he says, if anybody's thirsty... Let him come to me. Let him drink from me. For he who believes in me will never be thirsty again, and out of him will come rivers of living water. All this incredible thing is going on at that time when Jesus inserts himself into the text, into the context. Why? So that people would understand that all this symbolism about water, sure, everybody physically needs water for survival, but there is a greater thirst in the heart of every human being. And that's the thirst of your soul. And there's a deeper need. And Jesus then stands up. And he's not talking about, hey, you can get a, a great cup of water from me and you'll never go thirsty physically. He's talking about, hey, I provide something for you that will satisfy and quench the deepest longing of your soul. If you come to me and believe in me, streams of living water will come gushing up from you in a satisfying, quenching way like you've never known. And this is important for all of us to understand. Because as Jesus is explaining all of this, 
We need to hear this too. It's not just for his day. It's for every day and for all people. That the human heart, deep down inside, every single one of us is thirsty. Every single one of us is dry. And every single one of us, before we've understood Christ, have tried to quench that thirst by going to a lot of different things to satisfy our souls. And the more you try to do that, the more you find out just how empty you are. Because nothing and no one will satisfy the deepest longing of the human heart like Jesus Christ. Like Jesus Christ. And so that's what he wants us to get here. And as he stands up there and he says, whoever's thirsty, let him drink from me. You'll never go thirsty again. Out of you will come rivers of living water. He's talking about how he can fulfill the deepest need, the deepest longing of every human heart. He says, I want you to come to me, believe in me, because when you put your faith in me, when you believe in me, then there's going to be this bubbling effect of my presence in your life that will be so satisfying, so quenching, like no one and nothing else you've ever encountered. Now, John, in John 7 there, John himself, the writer, adds in verse 39 clarification to what Jesus is saying here. Look at verse 39. John says, by this... He meant the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were later to receive. Okay? Jesus has not yet died on the cross. He's not yet finished the work. Okay? When He's on the cross and He dies, He says, it is finished. So His redemptive work has not yet been completed. But once Jesus dies on the cross, and we accept Him as our Savior, and Jesus comes into our life, His very presence by way of His Spirit comes into us, and so John is adding here, he says, this is what he meant. He meant those who would later believe in him after he dies on the cross will receive the very presence of his spirit. And when they receive that, it is this welling up effect of this quenching presence of God. And that's why, in terms of its modern application, on your list, if you're taking notes, number 16 on our ongoing list from Ezra through Nehemiah is that the fountain gate reminds us of the Holy Spirit and that we must continue to seek Jesus and believe in him so that we might experience the soul-quenching satisfaction of his spirit. That's what this is about, to seek him and to believe in him, to have relationship with him so that he can satisfy us in ways that nothing and no one else can. Friends, listen to me. Mick Jagger was right. Take a minute. Some of you are going to get what I'm saying. Mick Jagger was right. I can't get no satisfaction because he understood that the world offers a lot and delivers very little. And we can go, Ecclesiastes Solomon write this, man has gone in search of many schemes. We can go looking and searching and hunting and trying to find things that will satisfy. And we look at all kinds of things and we try to experience all kinds of things looking for that one thing. And the more we do it, the more we come up empty. Because only Jesus can bring that kind of satisfaction that every human soul is looking for. Now, case in point, I want to take you to a story in John chapter 4. If you're already in John 7, this is a quick turn to the left. Go to John 4. And there's a story here that is familiar to many of you. It's the story when Jesus encounters the woman at the well. Now, she's an unnamed woman in this story. We know a little bit about her. And I'm going to summarize the story, and then I'm just going to read a little bit of it. But this might be familiar already to some of you. But here's the background of this story. Here in John chapter 4, Jesus is traveling with his disciples to Jerusalem. They are cutting through Samaria. 
They come to the well of Sychar in Samaria. Jesus is tired. He perspires. He gets thirsty. You know, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. And when he perspires and gets tired, he, he, he wants a drink of water. So he stops there at the well of Sychar. And the Bible says that his disciples go into town to buy food. So for the moment, Jesus is left all alone at this well. But he doesn't have a cup to draw water. The well is deep. And along comes this Samaritan woman who lives there. She's one of the locals. She's a Samaritan woman, and she comes to draw water from the same well. And there's going to be, unbeknownst to her, this divine counseling appointment that she wasn't prepared for. Now, there's a couple of unusual things in this story. And one of the unusual things is that this woman is coming to draw water in the heat of the day because the story tells us it was at the sixth hour when this scene happens. The sixth hour is 12 noon. Now, it's not unusual for women to come to the well to draw water. In fact, that was typical. Uh, the women would come to the well to draw water while the men were back home in a lazy boy chair in a remote control. <laughs> but anyway, here come the sweet ladies to draw water from the well. What was unusual is not that it was a woman who was coming to draw water. What was unusual is that she was coming at 12 noon. Because typically in the day, and there's other stories in the Bible which tell us this, women would draw water from the well in the cool of the evening. It wouldn't come in the middle of the day. But you see, this woman is intentionally coming when no other women would be there because she sees herself and others see her as a social outcast. Now, you'll understand why as the story unfolds, but she doesn't want to have conversation with the other women. So she wants to come alone, discreetly. She comes in the middle of the day, and lo and behold, here is Jesus. Now, he's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans typically don't get along. There's no prejudice on Jesus' behalf, so he engages her in conversation. She's at first alarmed by this. You're talking to me, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. And he says to her, can I have a drink of water? And she kind of pushes back a little bit. She realizes, oh, that's why you're talking to me. You're a Jew, you typically, you people don't talk to us Samaritans, but you don't have a cup, and I have a cup, and you're thirsty. Isn't that convenient? Now, I'm reading a little bit more into the story. I'm giving her a little bit of an attitude, but that's the way I read it. <laughs> and they have this conversation back and forth. She even gets into a little theological debate about where you Jews worship and where we Samaritans worship. But when Jesus says, can I have a drink of water? And she says, oh, it's because you don't have a cup. He says to her in John 4, verse 10, lady, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He says, trust me, ma'am, I have something far more valuable than what you have to offer me. I have living water, and if you would ask me, you would get the living water that I provide for you. You have no idea who I am and what I have to offer you. Now she pushes back again. She says, well, are you greater than our father Jacob? I saw your heads bowed. You're checking out the text to make sure. Yes, in fact, <laughs> This is what she said in verse 11. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank for it for himself? It's like, wow, who do you think you are? Our father Jacob was the one who dug this well, drank from this well, and we're related to our father Jacob. Jesus says to her in verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. You want to drink from this particular well? You're going to keep coming here. You're going to be thirsty again. Verse 14, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
You hear the same language there? All this fountain gate, the tabernacle feast, the pool of Siloam, when he stands up in John 7. He's saying the same thing here earlier in John 4. He's using the idea of human thirst to connect the dots in our head to realize that there's a soul thirst that all of us have and that we need him. We need Jesus. So Jesus says to her, if you'd come to me, you could have living water. And she says then, give me some of this living water then so I don't have to keep coming back here to this well. She still doesn't quite get it. She thinks he's got Perrier or something, you know? She's like, she's like, wow, this bubbly stuff, what are you talking about? This sounds wonderful. If it's magic water, maybe I don't have to keep coming back here and slaving my bucket to this well. She says that, to which he replies, well, why don't you go call your husband? In other words, let's carry on this conversation, but why don't you go back home and get your husband and bring him here? And she says to him, I have no husband. And Jesus, because he's God and he knows all things, looks right at her and says, you're right in saying that you have no husband. The fact of the matter is you've been married five times and the guy you're living with right now is not your husband. She's been married and divorced five times and now she's living with a sixth man that she's not married to. And you have to ask yourself when you, when you look at this story, is it just that this woman happens to be hooking up with losers every single time? Or is it possible that there's something thirsty in her that no one man can ever satisfy except Jesus? It's the latter. And what Jesus did in this moment was he filleted her heart wide open and he exposed the deepest longing of her soul. And in her particular situation, she thought that she could bring satisfaction to her life by going from one relationship to another. If I just find this man and then this man and then this man and this man. She went through five men. She's living with the sixth guy and she's still not satisfied. In fact, I would dare say that the more she kept drinking from that well, the emptier she got. What well are you drinking from? What well are you drinking from? Because if you're drinking from a well other than the living water, that well's never going to quench. It's never. And there's all kinds of wells. There's the well of relationships, multiple relationships like this woman. There's the well of materialism. Some of you think the more I have, the more I get, the more I accumulate, the happier I'll be. There's, there's the well of pornography, there's the well of alcohol, the well of drugs, maybe if I just medicate myself, everything will be better, there's the well of wanting everybody to like you, you know how empty that is, hoping that everybody will just like you and you keep drinking from that well, it's never going to happen, there are various wells that we drink from, and by the way, it's not always motivated because of some sin issue in our lives, sometimes we drink from the, wall, the wrong well because we're lonely, Sometimes we drink from the wrong well because we're going through grief and we want to somehow, you know, manage our, our grief. Sometimes we drink from the wrong well because we've been hurt. But the, the point is that we could spend a lifetime trying to find satisfaction in various ways, drinking from various wells, but they will never bring satisfaction like the living water that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
He is the one that can satisfy the deepest longing of the human soul. He is the one who can meet all our needs. He is the one who can quench the deepest part of who we are. We have to turn to him. And we have to recognize been drinking from the wrong well. And I need the refreshing living water that only comes by God's spirit through knowing Christ. That is the refreshing work of God's spirit. Let me tell you a quick story. Several years ago on one of our trips to Israel, we had a lady who was a part of the tour group who did not go to our church, does not go to our church. She was invited by some friends who went on the tour from our church. So nobody really knew her. This is all I knew about her was that she was recently widowed and widowed kind of young. She was like in her late 40s. And, uh, and here she was on the trip and making everybody miserable. She complained about everything on our trip. She complained about this, complained about that, murmured about this, murmured about that, to the point where I had people on the tour group pulling me aside, like, Pastor G, is there any way to send her back? Can we send her back? <laughs> She's making us all miserable. And I, and I was aware of it. I saw it, too. And so one night after, after dinner was over, uh, I just asked her, if I pulled her aside at the hotel, and I said, can we just go to the lobby area here and just sit, sit in, in, the, uh, in the front lobby area? And just, I just want to talk to you a little bit. Now, I, I will tell you that this story from John chapter 4 and the woman at the well came immediately to mind. And this is what I felt like the Lord wanted me to say to her, not to address her attitude, not to say to her, you know, do you, even politely, do you know how you've been coming across? You've kind of been spoiling the trip for everybody. <laughs> Now, I wasn't even to do that. I wasn't even to do that at all. Here's, here's the entry point. And it was the same kind of thing that Jesus asked the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Here was the entry point. I said to her, would you mind telling me a little bit about your husband? Like Jesus said, go call your husband. I felt prompted by the Lord just to say to her, could you tell me something about your husband? And she answered true to form. She says, what do you want to know about my husband for? It's none of your business. <laughs> Dear Jesus. <laughs> And I said, okay, I'm sorry if that's intruding. I just want to show an interest in your life. I heard you were recently widowed. Can you tell me something about your husband? And then she calmed down and she looked at me and she said, I was living the good life. So I was married to my husband. I don't remember how many years she told me. A long time. She said, my husband was a federal judge. Had a great career. We had a great life. We lived out in the country. And then one day my husband did something that he shouldn't have done. It was a freak accident. He took a chainsaw and he was cutting a big limb off of a tree above his head. And he said the, the limb hit him on the head, and he eventually died from it. It was a freak accident. And then she looked at me and she said, and today is the anniversary of his death. Then she quickly apologized. She said, you know, I, I, I got to confess. I'm so sorry. I, I've probably ruined everybody's trip. I've been, I've been miserable. I've been grieving over my husband's death and I just want to apologize. I said, it's okay. Everybody's entitled to grief. Then I asked her if I could pray for her, and I did. And for the rest of the trip, she was an angel. What did she need? Living water. She was grieving, and she needed the living water of Jesus to refresh her soul. Doesn't mean that everything goes away. I'm sure she, like many of you, will have good days and bad days. We all do. But the living water of Jesus Christ is what satisfies the deepest longing of our souls. And it is unlike anything or anyone else. 
In Jeremiah 17, 13, God said to the people of Israel, do not forsake me the spring of living water. That's who he is. And he brings the rains to illustrate it too. Nehemiah faced a daunting task of leading one of the waves of returning exiles and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. The work was hard and slow and filled with setbacks and struggles, including enemies who came up against them. The great thing about Nehemiah was that he wasn't a priest and he wasn't a Levite. In fact, he wasn't in professional ministry in any way. You may not be a pastor, but God can use your experience and willingness all the same. Who knows what amazing things he may have in store for you if you'll open yourself to his leading and step out in faith. You have a great journey awaiting you. Just ask God to open your eyes to his plan. We'd love to pray for you along this journey, too. Are you facing a difficult situation? Call us and share your prayer requests at 703-771-1500. To hear more great messages from Pastor Gary Hamrick, look us up online at cornerstoneconnection.cc or subscribe to our podcast. You can also take Cornerstone Connection with you on our mobile app to listen to whenever and wherever you are. That's it for today. We pray you continue to seek God in your everyday experiences and that you feel His presence in your life today. Be sure to tune in again for another exciting edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not a Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.